eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lay some up for some bees talk right now. I'm up there! The Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 155 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins defeated the San Jose Sharks 4 0 tonight at the Garden, and they improved to 37 5 4 on the year, which is insane, guys. It's like an 894 winning percentage. And I mean, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. This team just keeps rolling. They, they defeat. I mean, everybody, uh, they defeat high competition. And, and when they play inferior teams, it's they just show up from start to finish. Tonight was no different. Yeah, it's like we keep waiting for, you know, like I feel like when I talk to people about the Bruins, I'm like, well, they're probably not going to quite keep up this winning percentage. But I was like, I don't know. They, they keep keeping it up. So maybe they will. Like, because to your point, they're, they're taking care of business against the bad teams. It, you know, we talked about this after the Seattle game about like the quote unquote blueprints. Like, well, yeah, part of it has to be you catch the Bruins on an off night and you get like great goaltending. Like, it's it's almost getting to the point where it's just about taking any team's best game of the season to beat them. And, and even then, you might not do it if the Bruins play their best game. So it's it it is insane. And you know, look, obviously beating the Sharks for nothing doesn't tell us a whole lot. Like that's, that's kind of to be expected. Sharks aren't very good, but, uh, but yeah, like they very rarely have like a full off night. Like even, even if they're off for a period or 10 minutes stretch, it's, they figure out a way to turn it on. And like, if they turn it on for 10 to 15 minutes, like they can swing a game just in that amount of time. So it's, it's crazy. And, and, you know, like one thing I'm writing about for Monday is now yeah, they have all these defensemen scoring. Uh, 
two more goals from defenseman Sunday night uh, on two great individual efforts by Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy. You know, Lindholm, Lindholm steps around one Sharks defender. McAvoy, like, two-ups him by going around three. Um, they now have five straight games with a goal from defenseman, seven goals from defenseman during that time. And it's like, that's one thing that they that like they weren't really doing all that great. One of the few things that they weren't great at for much of the season. And now all of a sudden they're great at that. And like um, Charlie Magway talked about this after the game and said, when they played Seattle uh, during their team meeting, it came up that Seattle was number one in goals scored by defensemen. And he said, like, they kind of started talking amongst themselves and they're like, where are we? Like, how many do we have? And while it's obviously not this simple and like getting, getting their defensemen to shoot more and finish more is, you know, something they've been working on for a while, but it's almost like that's all it took to just kind of like flip a switch. And they were almost decided like, yeah, you know what? We're going to be really good at that now. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I was going to mention that if you didn't, that he mentioned, he's like, Oh, we started doing the math and we're like, Oh, you know what? We're, we, we all have a few more goals than us. And, and so they, they stepped it up because they knew they could. And it was almost like a little internal competition, I think. And then um, someone asked Charlie McAvoy about the Lindholm goal. And he said, no, I wasn't trying to one up him, but, <laughs> but it, I mean, his was just a really, really nice goal. So um, yeah, the defensemen have looked really good. And another important note about McAvoy is just that, we, I think we mentioned in our last episode, like, I think I even titled one of our like segments, um, like Charlie McAvoy's about to round the corner. And I heard him say round the corner. I heard coach Montgomery say round the corner about Charlie's health and the way that they're feeling about his play. Um, and you know, they, they think that he's pretty much coming back to form, uh, the way that he, he used to be able to play. And you can see that with the offense, but um, he talked to us about that too. He feels healthier. He says he's, he's getting there. Um, and what coach said was we're starting to see that dynamic McAvoy. Um, and, and that's what he needs to be. And you could, when we talked to him, you could just kind of tell by his body language and his demeanor that he feels like he's pretty much there. Yeah. You saw it on his goal. You saw it on the, uh, the cross ice pass to Pasternak on on the power play for Pasternak's goal. Just the just the confidence that that Charlie's um, playing with when he's going. It's it just jumps off jumps off the screen. Uh, I wanted to start off with how the game kind of started off tonight, guys. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody really expected Timo Meyer and Brandon Carlo thirty seconds in the, to to start throwing fists. Was there some carryover from, from the previous meeting in San Jose a few weeks ago, or was that just from the four check between hurdle and Carlo and Meyer didn't like that? I thought it was just spontaneous from tonight. Uh, you know, Carlo throws, I thought it was perfectly clean hit on hurdle, but obviously Timo Meyer didn't like it and kind of, you know, jumped on Carlo and really should have gotten an extra. Like, it seemed like he was going to get an extra two because the refs, arm was up before they even started actually fighting. Um, Meyer was like throwing jabs while they're still on the ice. And then they get up and start actually fighting. And um, so, yeah, I thought that was all just kind of spontaneous in the moment, but you know, the Bruins talked about how like 
it did kind of wake them up and set the tone for the game to have that right on the first shift and in the first minute. And especially when it is Carlo, who obviously isn't someone you normally expect to be dropping the gloves. Uh, you know, um, it was funny. Jim Montgomery said after the game, like usually has a, usually he has a pretty long fuse, uh, but he had a really short one tonight, apparently. Yeah. And, and by the way, I thought, and I never really thought of, Meyer as like a, a dirty player and I he may or may not be but the jabs that he got in before the fight and after the fight when Carlo was already on the ground like he had thrown him down and we all know Carlo has concussion history so when I saw him get thrown down I was like oh no that's not good because if you couldn't land you know awkwardly and re-injure something like that pretty easily and then he starts throwing jabs at him while while the refs are trying to stop it and and that happens in hockey but I just there was like actual hatred behind this fight. Like you could see it in both of their, like their responses. And I think Meyer was definitely the instigator. Uh, Carlos, it was not, didn't have, you know, th- there was nothing there. Um, and the fact that he went at him again, like after the fight was over, was just stupid. And when Carlo goes down the tunnel, you're like, Oh, well, we were talking last episode about Carlos foot. Was he going to come back? Was he going to miss time? What could they do? He plays. He doesn't miss any time besides the end part of that game. They decided to keep him out in New York. And then he goes down the tunnel in the first minute here. And you're like, okay, well, I hope that was just like to get some like stitches or something or like just for a second uh, to go get looked at. So it could have every time you see Carlo get involved in something like that, you're like, oh, that's this maybe isn't uh, a great idea for him. Despite his size, like you'd think he'd have that long reach advantage, but he's really just not he's not a fighter by like demeanor. So um, it was, it was kind of interesting and they de- like his teammates definitely know he's not. So that kind of makes it even more of like a spark for them, I guess, because they know he's, he all of a sudden he just went crazy and they'd never seen that. <laughs> yeah. The extra, the extra shots by Meyer is why I was kind of questioning, like if there was a history there, uh, cause, cause to your point, Bridget, there was some, some, some added anger at the end of that fight. So, um, but in any event, um, an uncharacteristic way for two uh, two combatants that don't that don't really fight a whole too lot. So, um, one thing I noticed in this game against the Sharks as well, guys, and I think when they play these inferior opponents, sometimes it comes out a little bit more. So it's it's more glaring, is just how much motion the Bruins have without the puck in in the offensive zone like the defense are they are always the defense and the forwards in the ozone they are just always moving like if if the d the d recognized when to jump down again without the puck and the forwards are covering for them opposing teams have they just have no idea what to do as far as in zone coverage and um you just you really notice it in a game like tonight where the bruins could just kind of do whatever they want I don't know if you guys picked up on just like how much motion that these guys play with without the puck. Yeah, you de- you definitely see it on night like tonight where like you're facing a team that just doesn't have the team defense to be able to to close down and cut stuff off, and so like once that cycle gets going, it they're not gonna stop until they score or like until they miss a net and like clear the zone themselves. It's you know better teams that that can play defense and and pressure them and you know you can obviously do a better job of ending that cycle but yeah against a team like san jose it's like 
it just becomes hopeless if you're the Sharks. Like you're, you're just hanging on for dear life at a certain point. And it was pretty much every Bruins line doing it. Like even even the fourth line, which obviously, you know, we're going to get to no sex injury, but now you know you're without him for a while. So, you know, Kopanen's going to be the first, which, by the way, uh, we, we learned this the week. pronunciation, that, yeah. We learned this week that it's definitely pronounced Kopanen. So, we all had Kopanen because that's how it is. That's how it was in the AHL pronunciation guide, but apparently that was wrong. So anyways. Well, um, yeah, Jack was complaining that he wants it to be the American way or whatever, and not the, not the Finnish way. I don't well, know. It's easier to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll stick it is, with it. I guess. But anyways. Um, yeah. So like even that line, which obviously is kind of the new look line with the guy playing his third NHL game. Um, they were cycling and, and getting it going. And like, I thought, I thought this was probably Copenhagen's best game. Like he was, mm-hmm. he was pretty noticeably involved on in some of that. Um, so that was good to see because you, you do wonder like, uh, you know, not that obviously Nozick's not like one of the stars of the team and no one would mistake him for being like irreplaceable, but he does play a key role in the team. And, you know, fourth line center is obviously, important when you're as deep as the Bruins are and you rely on all four lines. Um, so you, you know, you need Copenin or, or anyone else who might get a shot there uh, to at least like be able to, to blend in and kind of keep the puck moving when it's their turn. And, and I thought you saw some of that from Copenin tonight. Yeah. And coach after the game said, uh, I thought he was very visible in our win. And uh, he, he did get some time on the penalty kill. Um, he got some time at the very end on the power play because that last Bruins power play, they just threw out like the most random units and just like rewarding guys for playing um, with energy earlier in the game. Like they, they throw uh, Kopanen and Greer and, and different and Grizzlick and a bunch of people on the power play at the very end. But no, I think it was his best game. And in the first period, he didn't take a single face off. And then I was tracking it throughout the game because I'm wondering, I'm like, well, it was just he happened to come on the ice, switch on the ice when there wasn't a faceoff, basically. First, I was like, are they trying to not have him take the faceoffs? But what you look at his stats at the dot by the end of the night, and he was 78%. He won seven and lost two. Like, it, what, he's he's fine at the dot. Um, he seems defensively sound. He can come in and play time on the penalty kill. So you're fitting him in. And it's kind of, it looks seamless today, the way that he fit in. And to the point about the rest of the fourth line, Greer tried the like spin around shot like three or four times today. <laughs> I was like, he's, he must be like, have a bet with someone that like, if he scores on this spinning shot, he's going to win like half a million or something. <laughs> like he's got some dumb bet on this, but he looked really confident. And that's another person that Montgomery said he thought had a really good game. So. Yeah, he tried going between the legs in the first period. He was mm-hmm. he was he was feeling all types of ways out there tonight. But um, yeah, I mean that that line uh, they obviously produced a goal in the second period. Uh, Nick Foligno tipped a Hampus Lindholm shot from the point after about thirty seconds of strong cycling and and work down low and uh, and yeah and obviously the Sharks weren't the toughest opponent, but. Um, they were still able to find a way to be as effective as they normally are and, and arguably more so since they contributed on the score sheet. Uh, I guess. 
Just yep. wanted to say Copenhagen got an assist on that Felino goal. So that was his first yeah. ever NHL point. And they showed on the Nesson broadcast just for a second coming out of one of the breaks, Felino just like mobbing him and like shaking him, like just trying to get him excited that it was his first point. So I'm guessing they grabbed him the puck. Um, but it just add that to his, you know, what, what we already said about him. He was able to to get that secondary assist on the, well, really was mostly Lindholm again. He takes the shot. Foligno, that was, it was a really nice tip, actually. There was nothing Reimer could have done about the the redirection and, and trying to cover that. But yeah, uh, Kopanen ended up getting his first point. There was great tandem work too by Clifton and Lindholm on that on that shift, going back and forth between each other on the blue line. Uh, some good hard crisp passes, but yeah, I thought I thought Copenhagen, um may have gotten a piece of that one and gotten his first NHL goal, but um, obviously uh, Felino got that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, and, and I don't want to jump the gun here, but perhaps this is like a good opportunity to bring up the fact that they are going to go on a long road trip, and, and they are going to, I, I do believe they mentioned that they're going to, they're going to carry a, uh, an, an additional forward and maybe we can just kind of discuss who those options may be and maybe who, who you'd prefer those op- that option to be. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's there's the guys who have already been here and played in the NHL this season. That'd be Chris Wagner and Jacob Lauko. Um, obviously, Wagner was up fairly recently. Uh, Lauko hasn't been up in a while, but obviously started the season with the team. Um, but both of those guys are, are wings. So I guess the question would be, you know, would you rather someone who can also play center? Maybe, you know, not just in case like something happens to a center, but maybe you rotate them in, uh, you know, and Copenhagen's not an everyday player. So that then opens the possibility of Mark McLaughlin, who has been playing much better in Providence over the last few weeks. Um, Vinny Letieri, who, leads Providence in scoring and, you know, has played in the NHL before um, or Johnny Beecher, who I think is probably not quite ready, but he does fit that, you know, left shot center mold. So they have some options. It'll be interesting to see what they pick. My, my gut kind of, I mean, this could be outdated by the time we, we post this in the morning, depending on when they actually make the call up, but my yeah, gut kind of tells me it might be Mark McLaughlin. And we, when someone asked in the post-game press conference and Montgomery said, yeah, we will. I don't know who it is yet, but he's like, maybe Sweeney already figured it out. So yeah, by the time people listen to this, they may have already um, chosen. I feel like Mark McLaughlin's a pretty safe bet. I, I feel like you're going on the road and it's a lot of travel and you probably don't want to get Beecher in his first game in that kind of a situation. Maybe have him come in at home at some point. Um, It's just, kind of not the right situation for him to come in. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Wagner either. Um, but Beecher makes more sense in terms of like what Scott said, the versatility and he hasn't been up at all this year and maybe just give him a look because he didn't play poorly when he came in last season and, and 
he, it makes, it makes sense. I, I think to have him in there. Um, I don't know about you, Brian. Well, I think that um, Vinny Letary is points wise. He's having a great year in Providence. Uh, he's a right-handed shot, which goes against them because again, they're trying to replace a left-handed shot in Nosek. Uh, and, and I don't think they want to tinker too much of that fourth line dynamic. And handedness plays a plays a role in that, as as far as having a lefty to be able to take draws. Because other than other than Nosek, it would just be Zaka, right? That's a left-handed uh, sentiment. Or am I missing somebody else? Or Frederick could. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just don't think Vinny Letary necessarily fits the mold of what they want that fourth line to be. If they want to insert a spark plug and some speed and some offensive creativity, then I'm all for it. But I just think they kind of want that line to kind of stay similar to what it was with Nosek in. So that might hurt Letary's uh, opportunity. Um, McLaughlin could do that, but obviously he's also a righty. As far as Johnny Beecher, our, our friend over at Bruins Network, Bridget Anthony, who you go you go back with, he he made a comment on, on uh, Twitter about how he he would like to see uh, maybe Beecher get that look. And I kind of, uh, I asked him uh, how his details are coming along. Cause obviously he follows Providence pretty, yeah. uh, pretty adamantly. And, and uh, he said that he's not as assertive and um, locked in as he would like him to be, but he's, he mentioned that his speed, his physicality uh, are pretty much outweigh that and that he's really, really strong in the face off circle. So, um, those are things that in addition to being a left shot, like, like you guys mentioned, I think those are in favor of Beecher. So I'm curious to see who they decide. I'm sure they'll probably announce it tomorrow. Right. Cause they're traveling to Montreal soon. Right. It, yeah. It could be, it could be tomorrow or Tuesday because they, they're completely off Monday. Um, I mean, it is a travel day. So whoever it's going to be is presumably going to be with them, but unless, you know, someone gets that information, it's, possible they don't actually officially announce it till Tuesday. Um, you know, I don't know if that, you know, would it save them anything cap wise to, to wait an extra day or like there's all that to consider too. So um, I'm guessing that as we're recording this late Sunday night, certainly by the time it's posted Monday morning, whoever they're calling up, they, they know, and that person knows, and it's probably joining them Monday for travel. Um, but they might not actually officially announce until Tuesday. Yeah. And another part of the conversation about, you know, bringing another player up and, you know, who is going to go on the road trip is who isn't going to go on the road trip. And Jake DeBrusque is just starting skating. So um, Montgomery said he isn't going to travel, most likely not going to get in on the road trip. They're hoping he gets in before the all-star break. Um, but I mean, well, that, that is the whole road trip, though. So it, it, would, it, it would have is. to be later on the road trip. Exactly. So he, as of the beginning of the road trip, he's definitely not traveling. Um, he is just starting to get back to skating. So tomorrow, meaning Monday morning or mon- Monday, he's getting back to skating. Um, and then what? What Montgomery said was he hopes that he'll be back by the All Star break, but. It, it didn't sound like they had a definite time, like a definite game that they were sure was going to be the one that he came back to. Yeah. I think it would maybe, it would be the very last game at Toronto because I think the Bruins are coming home after Carolina. They have, so they play Sunday the 29th and then two, two days off before they go to Toronto. 
And I think they're actually coming back home during those two days. So that could be like a chance where, you know, if things go well to Brusque while he's here skating by himself, he rejoins the team then. But my guess all along has been that they, they just hold him out through mm-hmm. the all-star break and get that extra week of recovery built in. Um, but we'll see, I guess at Toronto on that, that February 1st game isn't out of the question. Yeah. He said, we don't have a timeline hope before the all-star game may not travel. Um, but yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't get it, except for the fact that maybe he wants to play against Toronto. <laughs> like he might be like, yeah, you know, get me in there. But I, and the urgency isn't really there to get him back in. They're still winning without him. So if you can get him the extra rest, um, you don't have to put him out there in Toronto unless, you know, he wants to or he feels like he's ready to get back in there. You don't have that pressure to, to get him back as quick as possible. You can have the luxury of giving him as much time as he needs. And then obviously you add the all-star break on top of it. He gets a few more days that way. And then maybe you have him come back after. I mean, I personally, I, I would I would just rest him until after the all-star break. I, I, I don't feel like when, you, when you're 37, 5, and 4 – and you're a road trip away from an all-star break and, and he's nursing an injury. Like I just don't see the reason to rush him back, especially when you're looking at the road trip ahead and you have some really stiff competition, which obviously you want to have all your key guys going, but like I don't want him to get put back into the lineup against, you know, Florida and have, you know, Lomberg or, you know, Matthew Kachuk, you know, take a run at him or, you know, when they go down to Carolina. I mean, these teams, they're big, they're heavy. Um, they're gunning for the Bruins. You know, they know that the Bruins are the team to beat in the conference. Obviously, Tampa Bay is going to want to get a crack at Boston again, avenge their two losses earlier. Toronto wants to avenge last last Saturday's loss. So I just feel like I would just I would rest them uh, until after the All Star break. And uh, but that's just me. I don't I don't and I just don't see the I don't see the benefit of bringing them back a little premature. Well, yeah, you know, like, Smith, you know what's Smith interesting? has done okay there too. It's not like Smith adds the scoring that DeBrusque can add, but it's not like he's been like taking the line down. So the, that line has been able to, you know, keep, keep pace, I guess, um, even without DeBrusque on it. So one thing I wanted to see what you guys think about this, because, you know, Jim Montgomery a couple of times has talked about like potentially using load management later in the season. There's been a couple of times this week, and I think the DeBrus conversation ties into this a little where it felt like there were just built in opportunities to rest someone and, you know, get someone else in the lineup. Like Bergeron takes that puck off the face could have easily just rested him the next night, you know, sat him down for a game. Uh, then you can, you know, you can have some different looks like you could get a game of Krejci and Marshan together just in case, God forbid, you know, you have to try that later in the season at some point. Uh, you know, Carlo with the the foot injury um, could have easily have sat him down Sunday night and gotten Zaboral into a game. He, these guys played all of seven minutes since Thanksgiving, but they don't. You know, Carlo says, Bergeron says he's ready to go. He plays. Carlo says he's ready to go. He plays. Like, I, I don't know. Are you at all surprised that, like, the Bruins aren't, you know, taking advantage of what would be easy opportunities to just sit a guy down for a game and, you know, mix someone else into the lineup. 
I'm actually not. And, and the reason is because it's like, we're going at this pace and we don't want to have that slowdown because like, if you just keep rolling, it's like a snowball effect. Like it just seems to get more and more confidence. And obviously uh, fatigue is a big issue um, for some teams and for some players as they get to the end of the season. I assume the load management we'll see more of it in March and April. Um, but as of right now, like you have this ball rolling and you don't want to see like the hiccup that we've all been kind of like waiting for and looking for, and it hasn't happened. So maybe just roll with guys are excited to play guys want to get out there and you know, the training staff is taking their word for it, that they don't feel worn down so that they're, so they're going to just keep letting them roll with it. And something you mentioned last podcasts one of you mentioned was just that good good luck trying to get Bergeron to sit if he doesn't want to sit like he if he wants to play which he does every night like you can tell him not to like he's he's an important guy on the bench too so like there's guys that their voices on the bench are important too so everybody just seems like they're having fun want to be part of it and just want to keep steamrolling people like a super team so that it doesn't surprise me as of January that they're not doing it, but it would surprise me more in March and April. Yeah, I I echo exactly what Bridget said. I think as we speak on January 23rd, uh, earlier in the year, it was a sprint to get off to the best start possible. You had key guys out. And then when you got those key guys back, it was like, okay, they're back. But now we have to start to establish what this group looks like as a team. Um, And then you obviously had the team gear up towards the winter classic. Nobody was going to rest before that because they kind of wanted to be playing at their best. But, you know, at now exactly what Bridget said, I would, I would be surprised if March was just not a complete, like massive load management for Bergeron and, 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 and others Krejci. Um especially if, 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 if everything's locked up the way we think it's going to be. Um, I think, I think, then you'll start to see it, and I, and I want to see that. Like I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want these guys to be running. I, I I could care less about breaking regular season records. I could care less about you know of uh, if the Bruins, the Bruins have a chance to win their 60th game. Like I, I don't care. Like I'll take Burge right off of the lineup if it means he's not going to take a shot off the ankle or get or get hurt before the playoffs. So or the nose again for the hundredth yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. uh to, to answer your question, Scott, to this point, not surprised, um, but going forward, I would be. Um, so I completely echo what Bridget said. Yeah, and I think looking ahead, like there's going to be a lot of opportunities in March and April for load management because I don't know if you guys have looked at this, but like I don't think I've ever seen a schedule like what they have in March and April. Did you know they have five straight weekends of back-to-backs on Saturday and Sundays? It, like it is crazy i'm like i cannot in all the time i've been covering the bruins i cannot remember a time where it has been a month straight where they play every saturday and sunday like and that's why that's why um every time you ask montgomery every time you ask allmark or swayman everybody says they want to stay the course right now with the the goalies switching off on like a 50 50 um pace because of the the schedule dictates uh that that makes sense Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, the, the, the only, so the only one that like I maybe would have thought about more is the chance to rest Carlo and not even anything about Carlo. But I do think like at some point before the trade deadline, they have to decide and, and know like what they have in Zaboral. And, you know, do you trust him as your seventh defenseman? Do you trust him as your eighth defenseman? Like how exactly do you feel about him and, and where does he slot in down the stretch and go into the playoffs? And I just think it's really, you know, yeah, we saw early in the season, he had some struggles, but like, it's really hard to, judge where i know you have practice i know you see him every day but i don't know how you really get like a true reading of where a guy is when he goes you know two months basically two months without playing like that's that's tough so you know i think we all feel like adding depth on defense is sort of a natural area they might you know look to address anyways but i would think you'd want to have a little bit better idea of like where zaboral is and and how he looks in games right now before you go out and decide like, okay, do we need to get one guy to upgrade over him, two guys to upgrade over? Like just have a kind of a better idea of like where you see him slotting in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about the fact that no one has gotten in in so long, like you have to assume you're not going to go in or at least you're not going to spend the entire playoffs with all six of those guys healthy the whole time. So you do need to know where he can go um, and how screwed you are if all of a sudden you're game seven with, you know, Carolina or Toronto and you're like, okay, well, we need someone to come in right now. Are we really completely screwed if we have him come in and, and he can't take the minutes and he can't keep up? Um, yeah, you do need to know about how he can play. Uh, if he is an answer for you in the playoffs or if he's not um, and you need to add someone. And, and, and one guy too, like we, we talk about him ever so often, but like, like we kind of forget Mike Riley is just chilling in Providence, playing in Providence and Mike Riley. Let's not, let's be honest. I mean, he, he's an NHL defenseman. Yeah. He's not bad either. He is. When he first went down, we were like having arguments about like, Oh, was that the right move? Like, is he, He's just, and unfortunately for him too, it's not been as noticeable that he's missing because of how well everybody else has been playing. So you kind of do forget about him. Well, and I I think the problem with Riley is that it's almost like stylistically, there's only one guy he would fill in for, and that'd be Grizzly. Not not that they're the exact same player. Like, I don't want to, you know, put either one of them in a box, but, you know, thinking about it, like say Carlo missed more time. It's like, well, Riley wouldn't really be the guy to come in like that. You're probably looking for someone with, you know, at least a little more size, a little more defensively responsible, can help on the penalty kill. So like Zaboral would at least be the guy who would get first crack at that. Or even Strawman, who, by the way, just played his first game in Providence on Sunday, um, you know, finally actually reported and started practicing, which indicates that, you know, maybe they have, 
either they have some sort of plan for him where maybe he's back at some point, or that could even be a thing where it's like, you know, maybe the Bruins start to put pressure on because it's like, Hey, we want to see where Anton Strauman is before the trade deadline. Like, is he at all going to be a factor for us down the stretch? So, um, yeah, you know, at least you have Riley and Strowman playing now. Uh, obviously, Riley's been playing in Providence for a while, but it is kind of hard to see like ex- exactly where he fits in because, like I said, if if Grizzly gets hurt, then it's really simple. It's like okay, Riley fits that. But if you know, say it was Forbert that went down again, you're looking for you know a penalty kill kind of defensive defenseman and you know, Riley would completely change the dynamic of that third pairing if if he were the guy there. So I want to pose this question to you guys. Would you say that as of right now, the Bruins have, uh, let, me, let me, it's a two-part question. Part one, would you say they have the best all-around blue line in the NHL to this point? And part two, do you think that Lindholm and McAvoy is the best one-two combo in the league? Um, I'm going to, I'll answer the first one first, uh, which is, I think they probably do the the one, the other one that comes to mind immediately is Carolina's, which I don't think there's as much offensive upside outside of Brent Burns. So, and even that like Burns, isn't quite the all around player that a McAvoy or Lindholm is at this point. So I probably give the edge to the Bruins there, but certainly you know, Carolina has some really good defensemen who are just very good, well-rounded players who can skate, move the puck, like Slavin, Pesci, Brady Shea. They got um, rid of Tony D, though. Our favorite, everybody's favorite, Tony D'Angelo. Somehow not even the most controversial defenseman on the Flyers now, thanks to mm. thanks to Ivan Provorov. Yep, yep. Anyway, sorry to sorry to cut you off there. Just, uh, that's the, no, that is no if you guys want to weigh in on that, I'm still thinking about the second part because my instinct is maybe is McAvoy and Lindholm might be the best top two, but I'm trying to run through other options. Um, well, it's I I actually like how they are. Yeah, when when they're split up, uh, they when Lindholm is with Carlo and um, you know McAvoy's with Grizzlick you almost just get no reprieve for if you're the other team, you get no reprieve from guys who can do pretty much everything on the ice, be physical, set plays up score. Um, Scott, I see that you've come up with your answer. Yeah. Well, I guess the first one that would come to mind is Kale McCarr and Devin Taves with the abs, obviously who, you know, we just saw play a huge role in them winning the cup. So I might give that an edge just because even as great as McAvoy and Lindholm are, neither one is Makar. Um, and Devin no Taves. No one ever is, will be. Devin Taves is pretty damn good too. Another Quinnipiac guy. Yep. Do you know what do you know what scares me about a Carolina matchup? And is you look at the defense, right? And obviously Scott mentioned them, so I'm gonna I'm just doing a deep dive on them. Brent Burns, Brett Pesci, Brady Shea, Jacob Slavin, okay? They are 6'5", 6'3", 6'3", and 6'3". Jalen Chatfield is 6'1". Dylan Coughlin, is that how you say his name? He's 6'2". And then Calvin DeHaan is 6'1". So, like, they're they're just a meaty back end, for lack of a better terminology. And that's why, like, I really like the idea of the Bruins 
going after like a Luke Shen type just to bolster that that department of their of their defense. And this is not me saying like just go out and get size and physicality because like I'm I'm not saying to go get a bunch of meatheads. I'm just saying like Tenorti. Do that again? No, no, I'm not. Even, no, like I, I like like Luke. I like Luke Shen. I like the the prospect of Luke Shen. I like what he brings to a team. And I just think if you were to get one guy like that to just like have as as a depth piece on your blue line, where like if you feel like the combination of Clifton and Grizzly being in the lineup is just like you might you're a little small back there. And I know how Clifton plays a lot bigger than his size, but I look at I look at Carolina in particular because I think they present the biggest challenge in the Eastern Conference to Boston in the playoffs. And like not only are there are their defensemen like really talented, like Pesci and Shea, Slave and Burns, they're all, like they're really good players and they're also all six three to six five. So that's one thing that scares me about them. And I think that even though I think right now the Bruins blue line might be more talented overall or better overall, I do think Carolina it helps them in in in, in their D zone coverage, just like winning winning board battles and, and 50 50 pucks in the corner. Like they're that's that's why they're very successful. They're very stingy and they're very tight checking team. And um, I think they do they play. Well, you're gonna on, get you're gonna get a look at man? it. Oh, sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say, do they play man on man in Carolina too? Um, I don't know. Are they one of the few that does? I think they might, and it's it might be why it's more noticeable that like they're so tight checking because when when the Bruins play them, it's like they're just right up like everybody's ass in the corner. So. Yeah, um, it, yeah, and that size is why they gave up so few high danger changes, like which Bruins know as well as anyone, because that was basically their biggest problem in that series last year was, mm-hmm. you know, they really struggled to get to the inside. Um, and the Bruins have been, you know, Bruins struggled with that in general last year, but against a team like Carolina, it really stood out. Bruins have been obviously been a lot better at creating those high danger chances and getting to the inside uh, this season. It's been a big point of emphasis from Montgomery. So, uh, you know, that kind of stands as like the ultimate test of that, of like, you know, how much better did you get? And Bridget, I think like what you're getting is like, you're going to, you, you see Caroline on this road trip. Yep. Uh, we're about to see it. And on yeah. the road, which is also where the Bruins struggled in the playoffs was all those road games were um, difficult for them. It's allowed, it's a loud place to play. I used to live in North Carolina and um, you know, especially for the playoffs, but now that the team is as good as it is, like you're seeing those kind of games in the regular season as well, where fans are filling it in more and they, they do have a very loud fan base. So you'll get a good look at it on the, on the 29th, January 29th, when they play at Carolina. Yeah. I'm excited for that one. This is and by a- the way, they, they Bruins won in overtime at home against Carolina. Their only other meeting this year. So it was a close game. Very close game. This is going to be a fun road trip. We we see them play the Habs. Like we said last episode, it's like the first time in, what, since 1995 they're playing Montreal? And, since since uh, you were born? Yeah. And then you got, obviously, Tampa, Florida, Carolina, and Toronto. It's a, it's a fun road trip. Yeah, and I, and I think the Canadians even have almost 50% of their team healthy now. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they have just been absolutely hammered by the injury bug and just lost Cole Caulfield for the season, which... Mm-hmm. You know, oh, Pacioretty. Just from just from the perspective of like that rivalry, it just sucks that like you know the Canadians weren't very good anyways, and now you're getting like their JV team because they have so many injuries. Cole Caulfield is one of like the few exciting players they had to watch, and 
now, you know, he suffers a season ending injury before the Bruins even got to play them for the first time. And, and that reminded me of that Max Pacioretty's out for Carolina. Yeah. Um, so he's got a torn Achilles and I, I don't know if the prognosis, the diagnosis or is that he's going to be out for the whole season, but, um, Have they officially said it was torn again. Is that, yeah, uh, that's what I saw today. I thought, um, I thought, yeah, I mean, ESPN that reported be... ESPN reported Pacioretty on IR with torn Achilles. So, yeah, so that'd be season ending, but the flip side of that is it opens up 7 million in cap space for them. Uh, they, that was a team that was already looking to add at the deadline, especially center positions. So, you know, I know we talked about Bo Horvat as a possibility for the Bruins. I would say like Carolina would be insane to not go in on Bo Horvat because now they have the cap space to add him. Uh, they don't have to do the whole re- retained salary thing. And he fills two needs for them. One being the center ice position. So they don't have to try to make uh, Jesperi Kakaniemi a number two center. And two, he's a goal scorer, which they desperately need. So, um, yeah, yeah losing Pacioretty stinks, but it it could almost make them like the the clear odds on favor to land someone like Corvette. Yeah, that's true. That would be a really interesting uh, turn of events because, like we said, you're going to see him January 29th, but <laughs> they might not be exactly that team uh, after the trade deadline. So, um, just. We end up talking about a lot of matchup stuff, like looking down the road further, because I mean, what else are you going to say about the game against San Jose? They like ran circles around them that it was like almost sad at times. I was like, I, I might have time to take a quick nap here before I go home because it was just at will, like just controlling the pace of that game the whole way through. So hey, even, even Lena Selmark took two and a half minutes off in the middle of the game. Yes, he did. That was weird. That was really weird. And it seemed like nobody on the team knew that the rule, like they thought that it was the same rule as like if the helmet falls off, but it's not. Um, so for a while, everybody was just like, oh, they're going to blow the whistle. Oh, they're not blowing the whistle. And then the ref explained to Allmark that they don't blow the whistle, even if a goalie loses a skate blade, because if a defenseman loses a skate blade forward, they don't, they don't blow the whistle. So they don't do that for a goalie either. And so Olmark said he was like stunned and he like didn't know what he was going to do if they took a shot on him, which luckily they didn't. And luckily Clifton found the puck, whipped it down the other end of the ice just to get the whistle for the icing, because that's your best option in that situation. You got to get a quick whistle. Do you want to, yeah. do you want to know what the verdict was in the stands that, that I was hearing people say? Cause <laughs> when Olmark, when Olmark left, people were like obviously confused. And uh, obviously as we've, as we found out it was a skate blade that fell out, but um, people were saying in, in the stands, I overheard them saying, yeah, he got hit. The, the puck hit him in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and, and like everybody was believing that person. Like the guy had so much conviction when he said it, everybody was like, Oh, he, that's what happened. Oh uh, God. <laughs> don't, don't, don't believe the, uh, that reporter, the drunk guy from <laughs> the 10th row. Things you hear at the game. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, all the guys who play with Tuka Rask should have known the rule because, uh, as everyone yeah. probably remembers, uh, Tuka Rask made quite a big deal out of it when the whistle didn't blow when he lost the skate blade. He started waving it. it around like a wand and then chucked it across the ice. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> that could have been bad. I think, I think the Bruins ended up winning that game, so it was kind of like, you know, no harm, no foul. But in the moment, that was like, what? What do you? What, what's going on here, Tukes? Um, and I, I, correct I me if I'm that's wrong. Like but a, that's like I, a top three Tuka moment for me, along with 
obviously the milk crates in Providence. Yeah. And then uh, I think that this was just last year, the not coming to the bench when the game was tied, like, like he <laughs> oh, yeah. himself and then they were like, no, dude, get back in the net. What are you doing? In New York, yeah. in New York right? I do remember yeah. that. I think it was against the Rangers. And then he answered questions afterwards, like, yeah, guys, I don't know. I, I just don't know. <laughs> but no, and, and Olmark said that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Goalie skates aren't the pop-out skates, right? They're not like regular like skates that the guys have where you can replace the blade. I believe they're just they're the old school kind because you don't really need to pop them in and out like you do for a forward and he's not like cut like moving around all that much. And someone asked Delmark after the game, they're like, How does that work? He goes, I have no clue. I have no clue how it fell off. He goes, Maybe the bolt rusted. Like he had no idea how it fell out. Well, yeah, because I think you actually have to take the whole skate off. Like some sometimes when a guy loses a blade, they can just pop one in like right there on the bench. But it looked like he actually had to take a skate off, and like you know the staff had to take it back to the to the room and do whatever. But yeah, exactly. That's why he had to come out for what was it two and a half minutes because you had it wasn't one of the ones that you can just throw it back in and he gets right back out there. So that was weird that Swayman. Came in for two and a half minutes, saved one shot, and it ends up, unfortunately for Olmark, because that happened, he doesn't get that uh, shutout stat. Uh, and we've all talked about how like the stats for the Vesna are going to be coming down, and he's not going to have as as like high of stats in, in different categories because of the way that the Bruins have Swayman to come in. So that definitely doesn't, I mean, obviously it should have like a little asterisk. Like how many does he have now? Like three. And it's basically, he's, he's like three and like uh, 99. Like Yeah. So I think he has, he has two shut, two shutouts in the season. This would have been the third, but yeah. So two he misses out because he shutouts. got taken out for two and a half minutes. Yeah. The NA, the NHL's Twitter account put out a, a tweet. It was like, um, Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman earn earn the split shutout. It's like, okay, well, fifty eight minutes to two, but yeah, sure, <laughs> go for it. Um, so uh, I've I've a question for you guys, and um, Scott, maybe you can take it first. When it comes to DeBrusque, uh, as long as he's on IR, the Bruins, the 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 cap does not uh, accrue for them, right? So do Correct. you think that? Do you think that? maybe him coming back a little bit sooner than maybe we anticipated. Do you think they're just trying to get him off? Do you think they're trying to prevent that from happening longer than it needs to? Uh, yeah, that could be a factor. Um, I, I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, it's, it's a good point. If he, you know, yeah, the earlier he comes back, the sooner you can start accruing cap space again. Um, so yeah, that could be a factor. Obviously it's not, they wouldn't, you know, rush him back or like bring him back before he's ready just because of that. But yeah, I guess that that would be a reason to, hey, if he is ready for that Toronto game or maybe even earlier, all right, bring him back. Like, you know, why wait? So yeah, that could be a consideration as well. Yeah, I just know that like the way that the training staff has approached this entire season with the injuries coming in and um, just how they generally handle it, they are definitely too cautious to just be like, all right, you're 80%, go ahead, go for it. Um, 
So, well, but also they do get everyone back sooner than initially planned. They do, so. but I, I always, it, I always get the sense that that was because they did such a good job at the like PT and like the recovery yeah. and the steps, not because they're just like you're seventy five percent. Go ahead, no, like the guys felt one hundred percent. Just the training staff and um and the regiment and diet and everything was just done right, and that's why it ended up being a shorter amount of time. Yeah, another thing to not take for granted with this Bruins with this Bruins team right now is the uh, the medical staff. I mean, everything's going wrong in wrong in Vancouver, and including the, their medical staff is under is under under heat up there too. For um, who is it? Uh, uh, Pearson, Tanner Pearson. Yeah, he had, he had some setbacks, and and their you know their methods are being questioned up there and whatnot. Um, another another good Bruins story tonight at the game was Maddie Faulkner's uh, 1,000th game as um, part of the uh, equipment um, equipment staff. I think he I think he's the head equipment manager now. Now that or co head equipment manager. Um, yeah, he, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what his official title is. Last but, year yeah. was, was Don Del Negro. Did he retire last year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, good for him. He got a nice little uh, montage, which was nice. Yeah. The. Uh master stick swapper he's you know <laughs> that was a, a main part of the video board was all the times that he just like they ha- even had like the highlighted circle over over him handing a stick in the corner of the shot just like here pasta not going to break away here's your stick um yeah, yeah the, i mean there's been a couple times where like he's gone into guys so quick that they've ended up you know, scoring or like being part of a, of a scoring play. So yeah. Within uh, like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. An important part of the game. Got to be on top of it. Got to know, you know, exactly who's sticky grab and how to get all Mark skate back together. Yeah. They, uh, they had to keep him busy in his 1000th game. Yeah. <laughs> all Mark, no exception there. So guys, we're at, uh, almost, almost an hour. I want to, I want to throw this to you guys as we're, like I get, like I, like we said, the Bruins are going on a on an extended road trip here against some heavy competition. I guess not to ask a vague question, but they've been they've been so good all year. They're pl- I mean they've beaten Tampa twice, they've beaten Carolina once, uh, they've split with Toronto, they've split with Florida. What are you looking for the Bruins to continue doing against these teams in the next week? And is there anything that they weren't able to implement? Uh, against these teams so far this year that you kind of want to see them impose on them a little bit in, in these next couple of games loaded question. And there's a bunch of teams I'm asking about, but just in general, I guess. Yeah. So a few things that like just come to mind right away. Like one is the complete efforts, which were absent most of December and then kind of came back like winter classic. And after that, and you know, then this past week, like at the Islanders game, especially they didn't get off to a good start. So, you know, now you're facing some of these teams that can actually make you pay if you don't bring it or, you know, you take a period off or whatever. So that's one, two, let's see if like this new, I don't want to say like newfound, um, you know, defenseman getting scoring because new emphasis or new, Yeah, just sticking with it because that was another thing like Jim Montgomery even said tonight. They he felt like they were getting away from it a month ago. Like they started the season doing it well, then they went through a stretch where their defensemen weren't 
as aggressive offensively, and now he feels like they're back to that. And, you know, because even take the goal scoring out of it, like they have been getting a lot more points from their defensemen than last season. I think they're now eighth in the NHL in defenseman points. Last year they were 24th. Um, So this will be a good test to see if that can continue. Um, We talked about this already with Carolina, but can you get high danger chances against a team like that, uh, that defends so well? So those are a few of the things that uh, immediately come to mind. It, But it's hard to, to like kind of pick something that they're not doing well a majority of the time that they need to work on, right? It's like stuff that they need to just make sure they have that there the whole game. So um, uh, the only thing I will say is Taylor Hall's drought uh, has continued. Uh, I don't really see that as a huge issue. He's still playing well. He's still, he's still on the top power play unit with the brusque out and he was getting chances and you would just feel that he's snake bitten. And I believe this is the longest he's gone without scoring a goal since he became a Bruin. So we're at, I believe 16 games now that this one is complete. Um, so this is the longest he's gone uh, without scoring a goal as a Bruin, but I really don't think he's played all that bad and that line still looks fine to me. So it's not a huge worry, but it'd be nice to get him going too and, and have like, we've talked about it. If you have Taylor Hall on your third line, like that's a really dangerous third line. Well, he needs to start being a little bit more dangerous. Yeah, he, he he definitely has had a ton of great chances to score. He's missed open nets um, today. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, not not necessarily like a, you know, it wasn't like a layup. I mean, it it was a hard pass across the crease on the power play. But yeah, I mean, he's getting chances. To your point, it's it's uh, it's the his play doesn't seem appear to be poor right now. So if if it were, and it'd be neither more does his effort. Right. So. Right. Um. I guess to answer my own question, I would say um, along the lines of what Scott said about, um, you know, playing Carolina, I want to see the Bruins, the Bruins oftentimes, even when they're successful against the Hurricanes, like they, a lot of times they seem to be one and done in transition or um, in the offensive zone. I would, I would love to see the Bruins um, get some extend, have some extended shifts in, in Carolina's end and just kind of just, see see if you can get that their structure to bend a little bit um and put some pressure on them uh, i would like to see them i would like to see the bruins depth um be on display against tampa obviously tampa has some high end players but i do think boston's deeper so i i would like for for that to be on display and then toronto let's see let's see how fast this bruins team is right i mean the bruins can win a ton of different ways that's that's the beauty of this team but let's you know let's see, let's see if this newfound you know structure and, and and creativity can be on display up in Toronto. I mean they've they've done it all year. I just want to you know keep seeing it happening. So uh, that's what I would look for. Florida, Florida's a tough read, guys. I don't know I don't know how to read these Panthers. I mean they have a ton of talent and and their analytics aren't bad. It's just that their record's not great. I also want to say there's a chance that this could be their first stumbling block of the season where we see like efforts that are not, or like um, them being outplayed maybe two nights in a row and losing two nights in a row to, to these teams that are better. You're talking about, you know, Tampa, Tampa, Florida and Toronto and, and Carolina. So you're talking about teams, all those teams in a row that could knock you back and throw you on, you know, maybe your first, 
losing streak of the season. So then it would be important to see how you come back out of that. Yeah, I I do think like they'll be motivated not to have that happen though, because you have all these good vibes and like the last thing you want is to go into the all-star break into like a week and a half off on like your first two game losing streak. Like, uh, you know, not saying it can't happen. Obviously it, it can because you're facing good teams. So anything can. Um, but I, th- I do think like they'll be motivated to finish strong going into the all-star break and not have any sort of let up. It was a long break too, right? It's like a two week yeah. all-star break. Yeah. Which is, yeah, they, they play Toronto on the first and then the, their next game is the 11th. So yeah, like a full week and a half. So it's it's not even really an all-star break. It's more just like a mid-season break because the all-stars festivities are only one weekend. Yeah, right? it's yeah. like oh, it's like as long as you'd get off to go play in the Olympics. And then in the past, they've been like, no, nah, guys, you can't take this time off to go play in the Olympics. So, Well, and- I think part of that is like they – I think they wanted to make sure they built that in because you had like a couple of players like Ovechkin or Taves who didn't play in the all-star game because they are like, no, nah, screw this. Like we want our break. So now it's like, okay, now everyone's going to get a break, even if you're going to the all-star game. So yeah, I think that's sort of Yager was like, why the hell did you guys vote me in? I'm old. Though <laughs> <laughs> so he got, he won the fan vote and he was like, guys, no, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. But like, I need to rest. See, to your point, Bridget, that's when I could see as much as I love the idea of certain, I think this Bruins team long-term, would re- would really benefit from from these two weeks off. I mean, you're talking about key guys and Martian and Bergeron and Krejci and others. Like, yeah, give these guys two weeks off in the middle of the season, recuperate. Um, so long term, I think it's great for this Bruins team and anybody else who's nursing injuries. But that could be the one time where you start to see them s- slip a little bit is after having two weeks off. I I, I have to double check who they're playing after the All Star break, but that could be where they're a little bit rusty and they they might that could be a. Tri- uh, a trying time for a couple for a couple games too. That's yeah, the, they have Capitals at home. Capitals at home, and then road games in Dallas and Nashville. But they also get two days off after the Capitals game. So yeah, hmm. what are we gonna do for those two weeks, guys? Um, That's you know, you know what? Pressure. I really should have planned a vacation around this time of year. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Well, we're still here for, until then. All right, guys. Anything else you wanted to go over before we? Uh, Lock this one up, put it in the vault. Nah. Nope. All good. All right. Well, then we will. So we're, we're next recording after the, the Canadians game. Am yeah. I, is that, is that that's accurate? good. Okay. All right. Enjoy the Bruins Canadians, and we will talk to you guys soon. Mm-hmm.